0: Hello, and welcome to Hush Plus One. This week we have Shin Yu and Gershon Dublin of Slow Immediate, two immensely talented technological artists who came to our studio last year and pretty much blew our minds. I'll let them tell you a bit about what they do.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Gershon DuBlan. I'm uh, one half of Slow Immediate. Uh, generally considered the slow half of Slow the Immediate. slow half.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm she I'm supposed to be the immediate part of Slow Immediate.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: okay, so what is Slow Immediate like? Uh, tell us a little bit about what what that is and why it's called that.
1: So we are a pair of artists uh, and technologists. Um, we. Uh, we have backgrounds in uh, engineering disciplines in electrical and mechanical engineering, um, and we tell stories in the medium of engineering, science, and technology. Um, the name "so immediate" came to us uh, because we were thinking about um, critically about technology uh, being often about a, a particular kind of immediacy, which is um, everything on demand as quickly as possible and we were interested um, in the other kind and um, making technology that would be about everything on hand um, and that would bring people uh, into into closer contact with their surroundings and each other um, and slow down really, moments of slowing down to immediacy.
2: I think there's also an aspect of the aesthetics we're interested in perceptually that can be captured pretty well by slow and immediate, that when you think about a good moment in your life that happened, the time whops a little bit around that. Sure. It's as if it happened really Absolutely. slowly and you remember the details, but then it's also such an immediate feeling you hate onto you. Like that kind of slow and immediate moment is something we're trying to create if we can with the audience, want to encounter our work.
0: So capture that moment when time slows down
2: yeah but also it's like very fast i think right. like it's almost it thought it took forever but it's a second
0: sure. uh. you guys just gave a really cool presentation about a lot of your work and how you got to where you're what you're doing right now i'd love for you to just hit some high points like um the tree sense artwork can you talk about that a little bit
2: yeah so it started with this research around body ownership illusion and we're interested in how we can become something else through a different sensory modality and experience or almost like trick ourselves into believing in it
0: so what is the body ownership illusion for people who are listening who may not have seen the
2: so it's like you think you own another body and it's illusionary. Like, of course, you're not actually stepping into someone's body. Uh, And then VR, of course, is a very good medium for it. So visually, there's already a lot of experiments around that and synchronization of the movements, but we're expanding that Capacity. Adding more sensory modality into it makes the experience much more believable. And in tree sense, we're making a person into a tree. That your hands become these branches. Your body becomes this trunk. You interact with animals. Um, it's really a way to experiment the technique, but with a story uh, inside of it
0: so you get to be a tree and then you get to experience a tree and then you're sort of forced to experience yourself as a tree. Um, I know that a lot of people were talking about it and it's um, it's really interesting. Hopefully we'll be able to link that in the notes for this episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you um, want to talk like, about how people respond? Like, um, pe- You sometimes talk about people feeling themselves in the breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a nice example of...
2: Yeah, so one of the things that's very interesting is that Well, of course, no, you're not a tree, and you know that too, but there's actions start to modify. Uh, For example, some people would move as if they're a little stiff. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and some people would, like, kind of get much more released. You can, like, visually tell when the wind kicks in. Uh, And they kind of shake themselves in a way as if they have like a stings on their arms, like leaves. And there's one person uh, who is very afraid of height and the tree is very tall. So she barely can move herself because she's worried about she's going to like fall and break halfway somewhere. Uh, So it's very interesting that this fact, you know, you're not a tree. There's a lot of physiological reactions um, or unconscious behaviors people are already performing uh, just during like five minutes their film.
0: I noticed that you guys uh, do a lot of stuff that has to do with uh, nature Mm -hmm. and the natural world and you're using technology to mediate that. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that means to
1: you? Uh, Yeah in thinking about Uh, so immediate, like why, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, nature is, is one context in which that kind of, um, immediacy is, um, really present and operative and, um, also, uh, not very frequently experienced. Um, and so for example, uh, we think of forests as, uh, quiet, peaceful places. Um, and that's largely because, uh, we come from cities that are loud, active places, and we go into forests and we behave the same way um and most of the activity in a forest scatters uh when we when we walk into it um, but uh our project here there uh is is about making in in one way about making people realize that um I was just about to segue into
0: that project too that's perfect
1: <laughs> that uh, the forest is is really an active place. And we do that by just changing the sort of expanding the perceptual boundaries that people have um, in in hearing. Um, so uh, if you can hear through a microphone that's just outside of uh, the boundaries you could normally hear um, and do that in a way that preserves the, the interaction of hearing um, so everything is sort of realistically extended, um, then you realize that just... Just beyond where you where you were hearing before, there's this whole world of activity, and every step you take, um, you're actually creating this um, sort of sphere of of quiet, peaceful forest around you, um, and things are scurrying. Um, with and so right
0: outside of the place that you're scaring everything from, there's a giant bit of activity. Yeah. That with your bionic hearing that you set up, you can hear.
1: Yeah, and then and then the the effect of that is is actually people start moving differently in the forest. Um, Every step that you take when you crunch a leaf and you hear something scurry away, you realize um, you could take different kinds of steps. Um, Sometimes people will become aware of the wind because um, where you are relative to the wind has an effect of where your sound carries. Um, Certainly in the wintertime, um, every step you take is really loud. So the, ki- the, the kind of motion even you would have in the forest is effective.
0: So I thought this project was really cool. I'd love for you to sort of describe some more specifics of it uh, yeah. for people listening.
1: Yeah. Um, so five or six years ago now, um, uh, we started working with a larger team at MIT. Um, and this documentary filmmaker, Gloriana Davenport, who had been an MIT professor, Um on this project, um, which we call Living Observatory, um, where we uh, we started recording in many different ways, sensory documentary of uh, the transition of an industrial farm, Cranberry Farm, to uh, wetland through restoration. Uh, and that included developing sensor technologies that were recording you know, soil conditions and, and climate conditions and also a huge number of microphones recording sound, So something like 300,000 hours of sound to date and growing, um, in it's this database. Time. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time. Um, it, you could never listen to it all. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the point. Um, and so it's this huge database. Um, and what we became interested in was as this site becomes publicly visitable, which it is now, it's called Tidmarsh, um, uh, so wildlife sanctuary, and, yeah. and listen. Yeah, you can go. Yeah um, that people would be able to walk onto the site and experience its transition. So where you're standing right now, a year ago was really different from where it is, what it is now. And certainly a year before that. And if you go back five years, it's almost silent, um, because pesticides and, um, you know, enforced monoculture and in farming breaks the food web. And then there aren't. There aren't the the, just cranberries. Yeah, it's just, it's just cranberries, right? Um, there aren't bugs and that means there aren't birds and everything beyond that. Um, and so the, the transition is really powerful when you walk into a a wetland. Um, you might think it's been there this whole time forever, but, but actually these actions we take are changing our environments uh, really dramatically and, and making it possible for wildlife to return. Um, for us, uh, so, like I said, there's this huge database of sound, um, but how do you how do you find a spot in the last six years to visit um, and walk around inside of it? Uh, uh, we have been using this AI system called Tidzam, which recognizes bird calls and other sound, anthropogenic sound, and other wildlife, um, and so gives us something an you indent.
0: developed, or was it was it something that was uh, developed outside of?
1: It was developed as Perfect. part of the team on this project um, by a, um, a research scientist named Clement Duhart, uh, who's now based in France, but had been working at MIT at the time. Um, and it's still running, so um, we're able to say, find the first moment that a particular species returned to this, to this site post restoration and then using this augmented reality audio system, walk around inside of that moment and then repeat that from different perspectives. So, so not
0: only can you like, can you go outside of your own sort of physical range, but you can go anywhere in time and you just get this like sonic superpower.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like um,
0: surfing through this data. It's just. Vast amount of
1: data. Yeah, some people using the system will just repeat the same minute over and over again, but from different points of view
2: let's talk
0: about some more stuff um uh
1: the mask maybe
2: yeah so mask um is a psychoacoustic device it um could affect the wearer's perception of their own breathing by misrepresenting the respiration sound back to them so it senses your breathing pattern and play back a breathing sound but it's always uh, synthesized in real time and it could be more rough or smooth faster harsher in different textures uh when we play it back and in that way the person believes that it's their own breathing and start to act accordingly
0: so this is using some of the same technology with the bone conducting
2: yeah um yeah the the, the technique uh of Bone conduction is really that makes you feel the sound is like as if come from yourself more, rather than like a headphone that you know that it co- covers your ear. Then it's kind of uh, obvious that you're in a particular setting, but then f- like or like in manipul- manipulating your sound environment. Um, but um, with bone conduction, because you can still hear everything else that's happening in real life, and it just a layer of breathing on top of it, so it's much natural.
0: Non-occluding. Yes. (laughs) Non-occluding audio. That's super cool. Um, Also, um, maybe we'll uh, go through a few more of these. Um, There was uh, one of these, uh, Orbit Weaver. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to go into microgravity.
2: Yes, a parabolic flight to, to perform. So it's in the simplest way is that I turned myself into a spider girl in space. Spider-girl in space. <laughs> yeah. And then um, did the performance for the first time in a parabolic flight in 2017. Um, it was very fascinating. And the first time I experienced weightlessness myself and did change a lot of my practice um, since then, I think. yeah.
0: So um, can you describe what the device that you made for the yeah. microgravity flight is?
2: So... It's like a handheld device that shoots thread and drag uh, me over to wherever the tip of the the thread is attached to. So the tip of the uh, the thread has a magnet. Is it sh- uh, when it's shoot out, it attached to like a metal plate, for example. And then when that attachment is secure, the device starts to rewind or rewind, and then it just kind of reversed fishing. Um, I will be dragged towards uh, where the the other side of tip is and in weightlessness, because I don't really weigh anything. So even is like a small handheld device, could have enough uh, force to move me around in space. So we launched a choose to space. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, May 2nd this year, um, 2019. Um, so this project is called Living Distance. Um, we think it's a fantasy and a mission at the same time. That wisdom tooth was launched to space and came back to earth is a story in a way inscribes our life in this universe that we're moving forward and end up back home um, and the tooth was carried by this mechanical robotic structure that is able is designed to be able to shoot threads and moving itself just like the spider go um. In the in outer space microgravity environment yeah I was launched into space and experienced three minutes of um, continuous microgravity environment and um, it was very fascinating to see and consider like that little object was above the karma line and has its own life for a little bit before it come back to earth and as if like it's like a different thing now
0: yeah and so you you uh, you recorded video and then there's a there's a a film that you're doing is based off of that?
2: Yeah, so we recorded the entire mission on uh, the documentary but we also have like performances on the water and on the desert. I um, I think for the two channel video we're doing it is really trying to talk about a story from both perspective both a fantasy and a mission so the two channel video created space in between there for the for the viewer. Um, while at the same time we're also making a VR film uh, to show Or tell the story from a different perspective. Is it
0: from the perspective of the tooth? Yes, of the tooth. So so you are the tooth when you experience the film. Yeah,
2: yeah. You don't really have a tooth body because I think that would be too cute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like body illusion. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like okay, uh, very literal. No, I think it's like one version where you have the tooth. Yeah, it (laughs) will be like just a secret (laughs)
0: like Easter egg mode where like if you if you up down. Left, right, start, select A, yeah. B, yeah, and then suddenly, then you're your, just the your big fat a, wisdom
1: tooth. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Maybe maybe the little tail of the wisdom tooth yeah. can boom, like boom, move yeah. like a mermaid, like mermaid tail. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, for for that is interesting um, because for me, the darkness inside the payload before it's launched, and the darkness inside the mouth, the darkness in outer space, are connected. So the entire story. So the tooth will kind of have a dream and remembering the time it was in the mouse while it was inside the payload waiting for it to be launched. And then once it's launched into space, it kind of re-end up back into a dream that it had, yeah.
0: I can't wait to see that. Um, Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you guys talk about things that you're in process doing. Uh, Tell me what you think you might be doing in the near future or
1: what you can talk about. Yeah, sure. Um, we're pretty early stage on a couple of uh, projects, commissions right now. Um, the first one is called the wandering mind. Um, and it's a, a residency and commission of the European AI lab in ours electronica. Um, and the idea of the project is to expand the audience's senses of self um, to encompass something larger than the individual body, um, something as large as a planetary scale or an ecosystem. Um, And uh, the kind of thought process here is that there are moments um, when you feel kind of a part of something larger and those moments are kind of connected to other moments where you felt part of something larger. um, And that connects to this kind of um, more planetary view. So Uh, it sort of goes back to to experiencing your body, but in
0: like that same illusion from VR, but like Mm. at a very gigantic sort of universal scale or earth size scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to me, the, the, the feeling of that is a feeling I have sometimes, I don't know if, if you guys also have it, but sometimes I feel really connected. Most of the time I feel really disconnected and alienated and like, uh, scared uh, in the world. But like, sometimes I feel really connected with, with other things, whether the things that are immediately around me or things at a distance. Um, and the idea of the project is to, is to use that feeling, um, to, to expand the, the self, um, and connect different places and, or different systems together.
0: Are there any bits of it that I can access?
1: Um, right now? No, it's still very much in the, in, in process. Um, so we were in, uh, in this residency in Buenos Aires in August um, in which we were basically doing the research to develop some of the materials for this. Um, a lot of that was field recording. Um, and uh, a lot of that field recording was just capturing spaces um, using different techniques, um, different types of microphones. Um, and you have like a, a eigen, lot of the do you have like eigenmics and things like that? <laughs> yeah. So, so, some some three D microphones and um, and some of our own hand built microphones that we, we use consistently, um, and then uh, a lot of the spaces we ended up going down into were um, were underground um, spaces, which have resonances of other parts of the city, other other places. Um, they're just cavities have these connections to other places. Um, and uh, yeah, that also got us thinking about other ways of going underground, including from really far away, like from from satellites um that are using different techniques to look under the surface of the ocean or under the surface of the soil um from from really far away, yeah, was that synthetic
0: aperture radar radar synthetic yeah. aperture radars, yeah, um
1: so cool. there are these crazy satellites that unfold into these huge structures with um, matrices of antennas. Um, it can, it's almost like changing the aperture of your, your camera, um, can change the, the way the image focuses.
0: Hey everybody. This is the part of the interview where we talk about things they were about to do when we did this interview. Uh, Unfortunately, those have already happened. And because of the current global pandemic, you can't really go see them. I would love to direct you over to their Instagram at Slow Immediate, where they have all sorts of new things that they've been working on. uh, And you can get a really good feel. But you should definitely take a listen to what they were working on.
2: We're also working on commission for the Manchester Ship Canal, um, which is really exciting because the site we're working at it is this huge lock that will raise the boat, which is gonna be a steamboat that carries about 150 audience at a time. And then once they enter the locks, and then it will be raised about six meters high. And during that time, like about 15 minutes, we're gonna produce a time based work uh, right there. So the content of the work. I think in a way it has to do a lot with like the ecological conditions and like industrial change and also global trades because the ship canal was built for that purpose and it has kind of a sister river, Macy River, uh, which both of them start from Liverpool and end up in Manchester, but have entirely different history. So it's very interesting for us to think about what well, these two river stories and intertwine together. Uh, and how we can tell that story through so the locks during that 15 minutes when everyone's raised up six meters high.
0: And you've got, you've got a river that goes over the top of another river on yeah. a bridge?
2: Yeah, so like it's very fascinating is the river that intersect at different spots, but again for many ecological reasons, they are not supposed to actually intersect. Uh, so literally the government start building Rivers on top of rivers, uh, <laughs> there was a big bridge. I was like what's on it? It was like it's just another river it's like a,
0: a river going over an aqueduct
2: yeah it's it's amazing, amazing, yeah,
0: anything else you want to leave everybody with before we're done?
2: It'd be great if people can come to Austria in September or Manchester in May and check out our projects. I think it would be nice. uh we are also working on um, premiered the VR film very early next year. So hopefully, uh, no matter where the people are, we will be able to share the projects with them. I think that's the most important thing for us all the time. Because we work so much about physical perception, we want people to actually try it out.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you.